0: Previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. The reason there's HBCUs is because white schools did not want you there. And it's like they didn't want you there until they realized, oh, they could give me some real money because they're really talented. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 44 of the Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. Jeffrey Scott is another one of the many people I've known since my high school days at Snow Hill. Since that time, he, along with a few of my other previous guests, have accompanied me and my wife, Stephanie, to numerous sporting events as well as other important events in my life. In this episode, Jeff and I talk about his love for baseball, his interest in collecting sports memorabilia, and what led to this native Marylander to become a San Francisco 49ers fan. We'll also discuss his expectations for the overhauled Baltimore Orioles and how becoming a new father changed his life. And now, here's my interview with Jeffrey Scott. Jeff Scott is someone, of course, I've known for 22 years, one of the first people I met at Snow Hill. And Jeff, I'm glad to have you on the show.
1: Yeah, Earl, it's nice to be with you, bud.
0: Thank you for coming on and doing this. I know we've been talking about it for a very long time. We first met in high school, and we've tried out for the baseball team together nearly every year when we were in high school. And the funny thing is that we were actually on the opposite end of teams in junior and senior league. Yeah, it feels like it's been like a lifetime ago. Baseball has been a big part of your life. I know you've been a diehard Orioles fan. You've been playing it since forever. What is it about the game of baseball that you fell in love with?
1: Um, I mean, it was taught to me by my father. So, you know, it's just a, not only a father, son sport, you know, and I know he taught my brother as well, but, um, it's like a religion, you know, you live, breathe it every year. You know, when it ends, you can't wait for the next season to start. Even when before, uh, smartphones were invented, you were looking in the papers, looking at the standings. And now every year, you know, you, me and your wife and, you know, my wife, we go to, uh, got a fan fest you know we look at what deals the orioles orioles have signed you know for new players you know what draft picks they get and uh you know it's just something we look forward to every year you just deep down in your gut it gives you joy even when the orioles stink you know you just can't look can't wait to watch the game at night
0: and i always said that baseball for me it provided tv for almost every night of the year for five months, because, you know, most of the times, with the exception of maybe some Mondays, some Thursdays, and I guess now some Fridays, there might not be a game on. But, you know, you can plan the rest of your week and your TV schedule around the games.
1: And now, you know, with a uh, fantasy baseball, you have something else that can be added in that gives you something else to distract yourself with. And my brother, I know he's gotten my nieces into it playing Little League and T-ball, you know, and that brings another whole new level of joy for him. But um, when you're watching, you know, you have fun. You feel like you're there. And when you just go to the games, it's like a religious experience.
0: And one of the things that's been talked about is how it seems that the game of baseball is tending to skew a little bit older, that they're having difficulty finding younger fans. And at one point, We can say when the last strike occurred 25 years ago, we were about 11 or 12 years old and we were those young fans. And now we're still fairly young when you compare it to some of the older generations. We're still in our mid to late thirties as opposed to, I guess the average age of a baseball fan is probably in their sixties or seventies or so. What does that mean that, especially as a millennial that we might be the gatekeepers to the next generation of baseball fans, if at all. You
1: know, I don't see there being a problem with their finding new fans because I see younger fans going to the games. Like, you know, I know you and I used to go to sorbers, you know, with uh, our friend Brian and I always see younger fans there with their parents. And having just had my daughter, Lola and my wife, thank God she lets me, you know, I'm trying to get her, and even though she's five months, she watches the games with me, you know, even though she doesn't know exactly what's going on, and I want her to, you know, play the game when she gets older, but I, I think the game is exciting. They're, you know, they do more rule changes now, which, you know, with the instant replay and trying to shorten the games, you know, with the game clock for um, the batters and the pitch clock, you know, trying to make 30 seconds, which doesn't seem like they enforce it, but You know, they should change some of the rules, but leave it alone for some things. But at the same time, I think it's a good thing to have some breath of fresh air bring into the game. But, you know, some more of the traditional rule, like, you know, um, don't mess with everything.
0: What are some of the biggest changes you would like to see go on in baseball? Well, I think,
1: you know, one thing they should do is maybe hold some of the umpires more accountable with the computerized strike zones. You know, they already grade them. And that's a good thing, I think. You know, if an umpire gets so many calls wrong, you know, maybe he should be penalized like the uh, players. Fine, you know, I don't think they make as much money as the players, obviously, but maybe they should have like a $500 fine or maybe they should not, you know, if it's something as an egregious call as five inches outside the uh, strike zone, maybe they should be fined or, you know, sat out for a game.
0: I sort of like the NFL's, Uh, mindset especially when they do it with their teams when it comes to officiating the playoffs how as long as the units are together they're the same units throughout the year they're the same officiating crew they'll officiate particular games like you said they're graded but the teams that are graded well they end up being the ones to officiate playoff series and things like that but one of the things i think would be a good idea is this that Each crew is the same crew, and if things aren't going to change, one person should call home plate every game. And then one person is the designated first base umpire, the third base umpire, the second base umpire. That way you don't have things changing up. You don't have a bunch of different strike zones. And I feel like that way things stay the same, and that way you can grade them on that merit instead of, okay... This one guy is a horrible home plate umpire, but the guy can call the corners or second base easily. And he knows it like the back of his hand. Why change the whole thing and not just have one person designated as the home plate umpire for that. And then you have a backup in the case of emergency where the home plate umpire gets hurt or something like that.
1: And I understand what you're saying, but you know, one thing is, you know, my father was, you've heard him say many times, he doesn't understand why they don't call the traditional strike zone, which yeah, it's, it can be a boring sport sometimes when you have a, a pitching duel going on, but why don't they call you know, the knees to the chest or knees to the letters, which I can understand what he's saying, you know, and baseball is supposed to be a fundamental game, just like, you know, any sport can be, but some umpires will squeeze the strikes zone them so small for a particular pitcher. They've been called, you know, a batter's umpire or a pitcher's umpire, and you can tell sometimes they have, if it's a particular batter, like when a very skilled batter came up, they would just lax off on the strike zone because they knew they wanted to swing and trash. But, you know, that's not fair, you know, like you said. So, you know, you have to have each umpire do each position on the field. But, it, like you said, you know, I don't think Angel Hernandez has ever done a World Series.
0: Yeah, I don't think he has. But I know there were still a lot of incidents in playoffs when it wasn't him where other umpires called a whole bunch of questionable calls at home plate. I think the biggest thing is that if somebody makes a call and it's wrong, as long as they're consistent with it, people will be less mad about it. If you start waffling over the decision, that's when it makes it even worse.
1: Exactly. Don't be a John Kerry. Don't flip flop back and forth.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, look, look at Jim Joyce and the missed out uh, on that basically perfect game that wasn't. (laughs) And, yeah, he's right there. Hey, he was right with it. He didn't cave into pressure, even though he knew he was wrong. And and he felt like he ended up going through hell, you know, dealing with all the stuff about that no-hitter call. But, hey, you know, at least he was consistent with it. The Don Dinkinger one where the guy's out by a mile, and he still calls him safe. I know that everybody wants to talk about, well, this is the human element in it and things like that. And I understand, but I feel like... Short of all of a sudden caving into public opinion, or you, you know, you can always confer with the rest of your umpires because maybe they saw something from a different angle, which I don't think that happens that much often now without the use of replay being the reason that they all get into a conference.
1: And that's the beauty of replay, you know, but that's why they shouldn't have unlimited replay. But, um, things like that, and then, you know, the Jeffrey Mayer play, you know, with Tony Tarasco. Oh my gosh, I just saw a replay of that. MLB had a, a tweet or something about that. And I just became livid and wanted to scream. That was a uh, Derek Jeter hit too, and I didn't remember that. I remember Tony Tarasco pointing up at him. And uh, that was one of my nightmares. I just relived that a long time ago. He shamed all Jeffs around the world.
0: And the thing about it is when I look at that series and I think of that game that wasn't even the biggest memory of that series the Orioles still had a shot to win that series I just remember Todd Zeal playing third base court scoring a throw into the ground uh on a play that was a routine ball that was more damaging than that home run to me
1: well they all add up but that home run was <sighs> that home run was heartbreaking you're right about that though.
0: But do you think the 96 O's would beat the 96 Braves in the World Series if they made it?
1: Like it says says
0: in football, anything can happen on any given day. And I think, honestly, and it's funny, I think the 97 Orioles probably beat the Marlins, no doubt about it. It, it, And I don't even think it's close. I think whatever the Indians, the, the problems the Indians had with the Marlins, that it went seven games, they blew the lead, couldn't hold into it. I think... If they make it past the Indians in the ALCS, they probably won that World Series. And then we're only talking about, oh, it's only been 22 years since the last World Series.
1: <laughs> Not 1983. Oh, my gosh. I remember have so many good memories of going to baseball games with you and everybody else. I was talking to uh, Marlena this summer about going to uh, the baseball games with you, Brian, and Eddie. And he was telling her the whole Shamu story about me jumping over the bleachers to get that foul ball. Oh, my God. You remember that, too.
0: And the, thing, uh, and the thing is about those games, of course, that's when the Orioles were losing and there were plenty of good seats available. So it's not like you're going to accidentally run into somebody trying to catch a foul ball because there was hardly anybody there. Far, even though there are far more people there back in those times than there were compared to this previous season.
1: I didn't even get up there this season. That's horrible. I mean, but, you know, certain circumstances, but, you know. Speak,
0: speaking of those circumstances, being a father, what has that experience like, and when did the realization hit you that, wow, I'm going to be a dad?
1: Uh, It just, you know, kept... Uh, when she came down with the test, it said, um, we're going to be having a baby. And then, you know... Just for that whole nine months, I didn't, you know, it wasn't real until I was holding her in my arms. You know, it's just a sudden, instant realization that you're actually a father. And then from that time until now, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. This little girl has brought a lot of joy into my life.
0: And it's unique, uh, especially I just think about when I talk to Dante, you know, Dante, father of two boys, and then he has his first daughter. And it's like... It's uh, really different. It was really different for him, and you know, especially like I said, comparing it to somebody who's been through parenting twice before, where you think, okay, this might be old hat, because you see those commercials where how the new parents they're trying to do all these other things, and by the time they get to the second, third ones, uh, they're pretty pretty lax with everything. Like the one pampers commercial where they're okay, they're trying to be careful and bathe the baby. Next thing you know, oh, just bring your baby in the shower. Let's let's go.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say we're at that point, but, uh, you know, we don't worry too much with certain things, you know, aspects, but I got chastised by doing the diaper the wrong way, but, you know, certain things you get used to, and, like, when you feed her the oatmeal and she spits it back up and kicking her legs out, but, you know, it's definitely a life-changing experience, you know. I feel like an old man sometimes when I'm trying to keep up with her, you know, just, she's not crawling or anything yet, but... I want to take her to her first game when she gets to be about three or four at the stadium or, you know, when she actually can enjoy it, you know, know what's going on and not uh, spinning up on me. That'll be something else. Uh, I don't know, man. It's really weird.
0: Yeah. And I can, you know, every time we went to games, we'd always see parents with their kids there. And honestly, it seemed like each situation was different depending on the parents and their kids and how their kid was acting at the time.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, you never think about it until it actually... You look at it in a different aspect. You can take your nieces and nephews and... It's it's a little different when when they're your kid, you know. I, I guess you can look at it that way. But... I don't know. I mean, I try not to be the... You know how some parents are—the typical parent that's like, "Oh, look at me, look at my kid, look at my kid," but it's hard not to be sometimes.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, especially when it's like, "Oh, we're not going to be like those parents," and things like that. And then just like it's like the whole the whole thing where some people will say, "Oh, I'm not going to be like my parents. I'm going to be this. I'm going to keep my do my this for my kid. This A, B, and C," and then the more you notice it, the older you get you're saying and sometimes doing the same thing your parents used to say to you. And, and maybe that's just the thing about age and experience, or it's just learned things that you didn't really think about it when you were younger. But then when you're in that same situation, Oh, now I finally get it.
1: Exactly. You're doing the exact same thing. You know, you just, you're just what you learn from your parents is exactly what you're doing. You know, it's just something, you know, you learned. And then, you know, you trust your friends around your kid and you know, it's all love. Like they say it takes a village to raise a kid. And um especially, you know, it's you can't I wouldn't deny any of my friends the love that comes with being a parent, you know, you'd always want them to feel that joy. And um definitely going to experience some of that is it's amazing.
0: I do want to get back to one of the things we talked about going to Orioles games. You've won the fan of the game award on a couple of occasions. And, and honestly, it takes a lot of guts to to do that and, and be on camera and do all that stuff because, you know, some people it's just not inherently in them and other people, it just comes out naturally.
1: Oh yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, you're just having fun and you get into it sometimes, you know, it takes a little, uh, liquid encouragement to do that sometimes you go up there and they focus in on the little kids you know i love it when i have my fan fist you know to help me out you know they they pay attention to the orange i think sometimes you and i've been up there and they they've had the guy who has the uh, orange construction helmet he has the mohawk on his head and um he's been in several of the uh their fan videos and um you know it definitely helps when you move around dance shake your booty you know and uh yell and scream, but that's a lot of fun going up to the games and just, you know, showing off a little bit. I remember we've been to the doubleheader that we were there for 12 hours. I think I won it then. And they give you a little care package of a blanket, and I got the bobblehead the one time and the drink cup.
0: Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, it's crazy, and I was about to ask you what the care package consists of because I didn't really – I saw you had all the items but didn't really – look to ask because at the time we were like, wow, this is, just, you know, wow, he, he won it. And I know you mentioned you won it before. And, you know, and you were mentioning the double header that we went to, this is like the second double header. That was the second double header we went to together. Cause we went to one back in 2012 when it was the 20th anniversary of Camden Yards. And they had That's discounted right. price seats. They were giving, they were, charging people the price of what the seats would be in Camden Yards back in 92. And the, the story was that I had some tickets to Blue Jays game that got rained out, stuff couldn't make it, and we ended up going and we ended up paying to get those seats, and we only paid 8 bucks for two seats in lower left field that any other time would have cost probably in the 25 to $30 range against the Blue Jays. Because I remember Arrieta, Jake Arietta Blew the second game of that double header.
1: The Blue Jays. That's right. Yeah. It wasn't that the one where the guy was completely passed out, drunk, and his friends wanted me to mess with him.
0: Yeah, I think that was. Yeah. And
1: would they wanted us to take a bunch of selfies and and put you know like act
0: like we were punching him in the head with
1: a fan fist?
0: Yeah, I vaguely remember it. I'll admit I did not partake in all that because I just know that. Lord knows if I ever get drunk enough at a game, which is a problem within itself, never. that I would never want, you know, to be the butt of somebody's joke while I'm drunk at a, at a baseball game.
1: I think we just took one, like, one or two pictures. We didn't really mess with him too much. But he was passed out badly. Yeah. But um,
0: and you probably still have that picture, don't you? Or
1: No, I don't think I do. Ah. I don't think I took any pictures. His friends no. did. Oh, ah, okay. Because we didn't really want to mess with him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm just um
1: sure. but then we went to the game later that year. Um it was the Yankees and the Orioles Orioles beat them ten to six when Adam Jones started the home run trot um train and they hit four home runs that inning.
0: They said at that time that Camden Yards the decibel level was louder than any NBA arena. Louder than any NBA arena. It was that ridiculous. When you pack that stadium Because they'll show up. When they're winning, they'll show up. When Baltimore, when they're winning, and they're passionate as they are, they'll show up. And that's a prime example of, yeah, they showed up and showed out, and I think the Tigers were rattled. I could only imagine what it was like when Delman Young hit that bases clearing double, and it was insane.
1: You're definitely right about that. Too bad we haven't had too much excitement since then.
0: Yeah, my plan was when in 2016, when they had the wildcard game against the Blue Jays, the plan was going to be if everything had worked out, we were going to try to get tickets to the Redskins-Ravens game and then get the tickets to the Orioles game, playoff game, if they played at home, because that's how it would have worked out because earlier in the day it would have been Redskins-Ravens and then walk down at 7 o'clock, it would have been Orioles. uh, I guess Rangers would have been the team that – uh, they played, because I always think about Neto door knocking out uh, Batista. Jose Batista. Jose. But, yeah, that was going to be the plan. We were going to go see Redskins and Ravens, and funny thing, the Redskins beat the Ravens that day, and then, hey, we'll swing around. Goes to the Orioles game against the Rangers, because there was a guaranteed game three there, and it just worked out perfectly. But that one-game playoff in Toronto, which – <sighs> oh, God! Which apparently, you know how they say if you fail to learn history, you're doomed to repeat it? Yep. Buck didn't learn from 95 when he basically put in Jack McDowell to shut out the Mariners in the bottom of the inning when he had John Wetland sitting in the bullpen. And he had the lead. So apparently, this isn't like beginner's bad luck for Buck Showalter when it comes to questionable calls about bringing in your closer (laughs) you're
1: talking about John Wetland wow
0: yeah I know it's a long time ago yeah John Wetland that is just ridiculous and it's funny thinking about this 25 years ago the strike Expos Yankees were the best teams in the majors and they never got a chance to show how good they were
1: good gosh Hopefully, they don't go on strike this year.
0: Oh, no. Worst case, they'll probably just implode in a couple of years when their uh, collective bargaining agreement is up. Is at a point where you're making the money, and if you're quibbling over things such as the pitch clock and a DH in the National League and other things that are becoming... Hot button issues that don't involve money because everybody's making money hand over fist. This would kill baseball. It would be as bad as how hockey has had two seasons wiped out or a season and a half wiped out because of lockouts. And hockey has been basically out of the American conscience for a while. It may be except for when the caps won. That's why people were a little more interested in that because, you know, it's DC. How more American can you get than Washington, D.C. With their Russian and (laughs) All-Star? Have you been to an NHL game? No, I've never been to an NHL or NFL. Yeah, I'll tell you this. Uh, Aside from the NFL game, which isn't too bad, but that's just because I'm constantly going to wrestling games. I think Ravens games probably have the better atmosphere, bar none. But um, NHL game, it is better to watch NHL live than it is to watch on TV. It is a lot more exciting. The the sort of theatrics pre game are a lot more exciting. And I think it, it puts a lot of other sports, the live atmosphere, to shame. Maybe the NBA is probably a little bit better, but other than that, just watching a Flyers game, especially between two teams that were basically out of the playoff race. Everything else before the game started and the puck drop was pretty exciting. So I know that You are also a big collector of items that you have, as you call it, your own man cave in your house, and you got a lot of collector's items. How did you get into collecting a lot of sports memorabilia yourself?
1: Well, I started collecting stuff when I was younger. I started going to auctions with my grandfather and my parents, and that's where it really started it. And then, you know, I started collecting uh, things when I was younger, uh, like that. So then I started collecting, uh, you know, Orioles and sports stuff. And then I started collecting bobbleheads. And that really started, I guess, about 10 years ago. And ever since then, it's just been an obsession. I've just been going ever since. Um, I used to go to these auctions over in uh, Snow Hill and Berlin and, you know, just talk, you know, certain the values of certain things. And it's just a lot of fun. Hopefully I can get my daughter into it. And aggravate my wife. That's a lot of fun, but um, you know, of course, you know, I like to go to the baseball games where there's uh, a giveaways. That's always one of the best things. You get two for the price of one: a game and a collectible. I'm not sure how many things I have right now.
0: To you, what do you say would be the the most valuable of your collectors' items, or the one that has the most, most val- amount of value?
1: The most valuable thing to me right now is my um, Cowric and rookie card and my Cal Rick and
0: Bierstein. Is your rookie card autographed? No. I know that I've been to a few autograph shows that there are good ways you can get that. I mean, I know you're never going to sell it, but you can always magnify the the value of the card with an autograph by Rikin himself. I know he tends to do some autograph shows. I've attended a few, especially in Northern Virginia, where they've had a lot of those, and... Yeah, I've had uh, I've seen a lot of people get a collection of autographs. I've Ben Pinserga and I we went to a couple autograph shows where we found stuff autographed by Daryl Green and a whole bunch of other people. Willie Mays, of course, I got a photo autographed by Frank Robinson that I haven't framed yet. But you're not gonna pretty much get something like that again.
1: Yeah, I mean it's in the um that card's in a. Hard case, and I think it's in screws in it, so I'm not going to take it out. One card I think I want is the Billy Erichin baseball back. This is F face. i like to have that, even if it's not original, you know, just a reproduction.
0: Yeah, and it's funny they're they're starting to take those out. I mean, you see so many different versions of the card. Some of it just has. The F word basically uh, blanked out. Some of them just basically... They've edited to the point where there's nothing on the bat head, And... Yeah, that is a very rare... <laughs> card. And when I first heard about it, I couldn't believe it was that legit. And then... You see so many pictures of that card. You know... Nobody was going to go to those depths to Photoshop that in. Especially back in the old days.
1: That would be an awesome card to have. But, um... My wife indulged me for a little while getting bobbleheads and then she bought me some for my birthday. You know, um, I also collect stuff like Dragon Ball Z stuff like uh, she got me Master Roshi and uh, King Kai. You remember the Kevin Gosman when he was riding the dragon from Game of Thrones?
0: I know I didn't get it, but yeah, I think I remember it.
1: Yeah, I got that off eBay and it's probably not as worth as much as it used to be. (laughs) Because he's not signed with anybody right now, is he?
0: He got released by the Braves, and the Reds picked him up. So, yeah, the value has probably steeply declined. But what did that say about Kevin Goldsman? There was all this potential and all this discussion, and everybody thought, okay, Atlanta's going to make out with this trade. And he flamed out in Atlanta, too. So you know it's bad when the Braves gave up on you.
1: So I have one question for you. What do you think about Adley Rushman?
0: Yeah, I think overall he's a better hitter and probably better Catching prospect than Matt Weeders was. I know some people will say that's blasphemous, but I mean, I think, especially now that Michael Elias is overhauling the development of the organization, Matt Weeders was destroying pitching and buoy. And then all of a sudden, you know, he skipped Norfolk, then went straight to Baltimore. And then the one year it looked like he was going to be on his way to fulfilling what everybody expected, he ended up having Tommy John surgery on his elbow, and he was never the same offensively or defensively. And I like to believe Rutchman has a lot more potential than that, but just got to be a little cautious about too much too soon. But I feel a little optimistic that the organization did in the past when it comes to developing a bunch of guys that that won't happen again.
1: I hear you on that one.
0: What are your thoughts on Rutchman?
1: He seemed a little rough down in uh, Delmarva, but his bat looked pretty good. I mean, I don't. His defensive skills could use a little um, freshen up, but. um...
0: Yeah, I had heard that um, down when he was in the. I think right before he was supposed to start in the Gulf Coast League, he came down with mono, so he was all out of sorts. He didn't really do anything for like a few weeks. So that sort of threw him off and that they were also focusing on. They just wanted to get him in the lineup, have him play a little first, have him DH really not catch because there's also talk about like some shoulder issues too, which again, I don't think is a big concern. As long as he doesn't have to have surgery and, and, you know, as a catcher, you let him rest. It shouldn't be an issue. His bat started coming alive in Aberdeen and then, and after he had that, that tour game, I think it was like five hits in one game, and then they promoted him to Del Marva. I think he'll be fine. He'll probably, what you saw of him in Del Marva will probably be the only time you'll see him in Del Marva. Yeah, I think he probably goes to Frederick. But who knows? If they feel like there's going to be a fast track for a rebuild, he may be in Baltimore in a couple of years.
1: I hope so. I really hope so.
0: What were your thoughts on uh, the initial hire of Michael Elias especially once everything else occurred with Duquette getting fired and Buck getting fired when you had heard the news that they picked this guy from the Astros who's barely younger than us
1: I mean I wish they had kept Buck but um I was kind of glad that they were breathing new life into the organization um It was really nice to see something coming in from a championship background, you know, using the new updated systems because, you know, let's face it, the Orioles didn't know jack about sabermetrics and, you know, using it, and they didn't have anything. But I was also scared at the same time because, you know, we had um, a coach that knew how to win but never won a World Series. So I figured, you know, Buck knew the Oriole way and knew uh, fundamentals but, you know, I thought that they could uh, work together, but then again, you know, they had to restart the entire organization from top to bottom, so, you know, he's going to do what he's got to do, you know, his way. Let's just hope that um, Angelo stays out of the way, like, you know, that he won't do things his way, like he's been known to do. Um, And they also brought, brought what, Sig? Yes. Yeah, uh, Sig- I can't remember. Middow, it came-
0: I think Sigma Maidel, I'm trying to get the pronunciation, too, and... His background is pretty big. He he was – one time he was a professional gambler, a po, I think poker player, plus he worked at NASA. He has a scouting background. He worked in St. Louis. And he's building the analytics department, the analytics aspect of that organization up, which I think is huge. And he even – I think at one point from what I read, at one season he actually got in the dugout and, and did a little bit of coaching just to, you know, see – Because it's easy to give people all this information and tell them, go ahead, use it. But it's a, it's easier when you have the experience. Okay. This is how it needs to be used. There's an example working it in the dugout because it's easy at any job. If someone just tells you this stuff and there's no proof that it works, you're going to be very reluctant to it, which interestingly enough, there was talk that Buck Showalter was the gatekeeper when it came to analytics that Duquette had an analytics department, but Buck tried to keep all that information away from the players, and that probably didn't really help a lot, especially when Buck moved Manny Machado to short, and it showed he was a horrible shortstop. But then when he went to the Dodgers, they basically told him about the analytics, moved him a couple steps to his left, and all of a sudden he became a better shortstop than he was in Baltimore which is a little alarming. And then when you hear Zach Britton say, we were never told about analytics and how how so much better he felt he played learning about the information, it was very alarming. and, And I also think a tail end of the Buck era, sometimes that team was fundamentally dumb because for someone who was a stickler for fundamentals, a lot of bad play went on. And if you're the captain of the ship and you continue to put Nolan Reimold in the outfield when you had someone like Hunsu Kim, who basically saved the Orioles from getting eliminated early on in that playoff run in 2016. I think the Magic had started to wear off on Buck before that playoff game in Toronto.
1: I didn't even know about that. That's pretty sad.
0: Yeah, and I always think about this. The Orioles could have had the home playoff advantage in that one-game playoff because the day before Galsman pitched that game to clinch the wild-card spot, yeah, had Wade Miley pitching well uh, pitching well, and then didn't go to his bullpen when you have a full bullpen of guys in September. It's not like you're going to your regular guys. You had like 12, 13 guys. Why don't you go to them? Then it was a disaster. Miley imploded. They lose that game, and then they have to play that Sunday game hoping Galsman pitched well. If Miley pitched well, they win that game, they use the bullpen, and then Goffman pitches well and smokes the Yankees that Sunday, they're playing that one-game playoff in Baltimore. Maybe that changes things. Maybe Britain's used, but you never know.
1: You're right about that. I mean, it's just – it left the question mark in all fans' you know, heads. That's I think that's why so many people abandon ship. But, you know, if you're a true fan, you're never going to abandon ship. And that's why attendance is down all across the board. Across, you know, the league. But then again, if you're a true fan, you'll go to any game and stick it out, yeah. whether
0: they're losing or winning. And I think things have changed, especially now with the revolution of cable. Back then, when we were younger, 25 years ago, going to the game would have been it's awesome. And now you have all these networks. Where you can watch everything where you don't even have to leave the comfort and, I guess nowadays, safety of your home to watch your favorite team, which is probably one of the biggest things in the world. Well, they say attendance is declining, yet everybody's still making money. They're making money off the TV deals, which eventually, just like the internet bubbles in the early 2000s, that bubble will eventually burst if if you don't have a backup plan. Then, all of a sudden, everybody starts losing money and crying poor. And it's bad enough you have two teams looking for a stadium and they can't really go anywhere.
1: Yep, you're right about that. I mean, because a lot of teams make their money, yeah, off the TV deals, but they also make money off food and the beer sales and ticket prices, you know. You don't fill a stadium, a lot of people depend on those jobs. And it's just really sad when you can't draw a crowd.
0: And what's crazy is that the Orioles, they're very affordable ticket prices. I mean, and I understand fans don't want to, I mean, it's rebuilding. At least, finally, the Angelos sons, I think, have taken control of the organization because I think Peter Angelos is at a point where he is no longer running the day-to-day operations because I don't think half of this stuff would have been done if Peter Angelos was in charge. The sons were basically allowing Elias to make all these moves, get rid of people, get rid, change everything around, You know, move Brady Anderson out of a day-to-day role in the organization, which Brady already left, you gotta think that if Peter Angelos was around, this wouldn't happen because Angelos had his favorites, he had his loyalists. And the talk was that Peter Angelos had this organization where he thrived on competition there, but hoping that the cream would rise to the top. But then when you have a bunch of people who are incompetent, but knew how to play the game, they rose to the top while the people who were talented left and went somewhere else.
1: Yeah, one move I was surprised about was they got rid of Serhoff.
0: But when you look at the thing, all these former Orioles, if they were here and nothing changed, the development was horrible and all this other stuff, sometimes the change is needed. You can make them ambassadors and everything, but other than that, having them part of like spring training coaching staffs, what are they going to do?
1: That's very true.
0: Yeah. And that's funny. Peter Angelos didn't want to hire Cal Ripken because the one reason is this you hire Cal Ripken, things don't go right. You fire Cal Ripken, people get mad.
1: Yeah, but I also think that, you know, Angelos should have uh, at least let Ripken um, come on the team, you know what I mean? Or become part of management. And, um, you know, that way Angelos could be pushed out because he's not doing any good. But let's see what his sons do. That's why, you know, this is why I'm willing to give it a chance. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I, I think especially as an Orioles fan, I think there's a future that's brighter as opposed to being myself being a Redskins fan where Dan Snyder is barely in his probably in his mid fifties, the team he's running the team into the ground and there is no hope for optimism. Where and you are a Niners fan and you've seen the craziness that went on with all the stuff with the ownership with the Niners ownership, the York family to the Barlows and all this other stuff how it moved forward back and forth, and now it seems like they might have built something that could be consistent and actually could be sustaining longer than the Jim Harbaugh stuff.
1: I'm hoping so. I really am hoping so because what I'm seeing right now is the quarterback position they need to improve because he's not impressing me right now.
0: Were you sold on Jimmy G when he got to San Francisco initially?
1: A little bit, but right now I guess he hasn't played too many games, so maybe that's what's going on. He looked like he was doing a lot better at first, and then when he got hurt, he just didn't. He was playing a lot better than he was now. And then I heard something about he had only played 17 games professionally. I wasn't aware of that fact. But, you know, he'd sat under Brady for so long, you know he had to pick something up other than the cheating. You know, deflated balls and all. Belichick had to have taught him something. And then now he's playing with the Niners and they're winning. I mean, you know, as long as they're winning, I'm fine. But they're not going to be able to run – Run every game, so you know he's got to be able to throw the ball. I don't expect him to be Mahomes, but you know I want to see him throw the ball at least, you know, for two or three touchdowns each game. At least get a couple hundred passing yards. You know, his passer rating being ninety, you get what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, and no, I understand. You don't expect him to set the world on fire, but you want him to be uh, a little more consistent. Exactly. How did you become a Niners fan? I never asked that question. I know that in addition to Eddie and, of course, Brian Banks, that you guys are Niners fans. How did you become a Niners fan? Why the Niners out of all the other teams in the NFL?
1: Well, when I was growing up, you know, the Colts had left, and I don't feel like, you know, I wanted to be a Redskins fan, and not being a Baltimore team, when, you know, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, and Steve Young, you know, the Niners were winning all their Super Bowls, that's what team I gravitated towards, you know. And Jerry Rice was a big influence, you know, just like Kyle Rickon was. So, you know, why not gravitate towards them? And you remember the starter jackets and how awesome they looked. That was just the team I, I gravitated towards. I don't remember too much back from back then, but I always liked Jerry Rice. And I guess watched him football with dad, that's who was there. He didn't really have too much influence on my football team. But obviously, you know, he was – big impact on my um baseball team.
0: And it's easy especially with the struggles the Niners and the Orioles have had out of the past 20 years, a few playoff appearances here and there, how easy it could have been just to walk away and jump on the bandwagon of somebody else. And I know you're talking about the Niners in that time. The door could have swung the other way. You could have ended up being a Cowboys fan for all you know, especially cuz they were oh, having equal, no. they were having equal success as well.
1: Who would want to be a Cowboys fan? I mean, honestly. Except for Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. Nobody likes the Cowboys. They say they're America's team, but I think that's easily swung to the Patriots and nobody likes them either. Does anybody cheer for the Cowboys anymore except for well I mean I know some people but but uh the Cowboys stink this season. They drafted Dak and he really stinks. I mean Ezekiel Elliott, I mean he he's overpriced too. Switched a couple of pieces around, they still won't be any better. They still can't put a decent team on the field. Gary Jones is just another Dan Snyder, or Angelos, just a piss-poor owner who wants another Troy Aitman, and he stinks, or Tony Romo, and he stinks too. Both of them are big crybabies. Of course, the other night, if you are watching, Troy Aitman looked like he was doing cocaine. His eyes were so red. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: You know, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if he was or one time did dabble in it. i just thought that would be more Michael Irvin related than Troy Aikman, but eh nothing would ever surprise me.
1: At first when you said Jose, I thought you were talking about Jose Canseco. And I'm like, uh Jose Canseco wasn't on wasn't on Toronto, then I thought you were going to bring up steroids. Uh
0: Oh, he was on Toronto, yeah. He always talked about he didn't know that Roger Clemens used steroids. He just showed up at some party or something. I don't know the whole story, but, it, but it's funny when you look at Jose Canseco, he was sort of right about a lot of these guys using steroids because a lot of them got caught. Palmero got caught. A-Rod got caught. Pudge had this whole cloud of, of, of mystery hanging over him. So, I mean, of course, McGuire. He basically said he injected McGuire with steroids, so.
1: But can you trust Kinseco? I don't really think you can.
0: I think he's a rat, but I think he's trustworthy. The same drug that, that Palmero had in this system was well, the same drug that Jose Conseco wrote about.
1: You know, Canseco is just a big old wuss and ratted on everybody because his career stalled and he sucked.
0: I can't say he sucked. The man the man the first one to get forty forty. Even with steroids you still have to put the work in. That's that's my only thing about it. And I always mention when it comes to steroids, as long as you admit you use steroids, I have no issue with it. If you act like you didn't and you can't speak English like Sammy Sosa, or you cry about it like Mark McGuire or the Palmero thing which hurt my heart where he just basically wagged his finger and then which and I'm stuck on the Palmero thing because I think maybe Palmero got set up by Tejada. Because think about this Tejada has been busted for steroids a couple of times too. So it wouldn't be a surprise if the B12 that Palmero got from Tejada was tainted.
1: It could have been. But when you mention Sosa, I think of him looking like baseball's Michael Jackson.
0: The perfect example of Sammy Sosa, you ever look at a picture of Al Capone? That's what Sammy Sosa looks like right now He looks like Al Capone He's a bowler hat away from looking like Al Capone As we start to wrap up this uh, interview Which I hope is the first of many with you uh, What are some ways that people can uh, connect with you Maybe like social media or things like that I know that while you're on some of the social media You don't seem like you're very active with it but
1: They can get me on Facebook if they like no, just add me. Um, at, I'm Jeff Scott, and then you can actually get me on Twitter. I'm um, Chef Jeff 08.
0: Your thoughts on the upcoming offseason for, of course, the Orioles, and what is your sort of wish list for this team? We all know it's a rebuild, so big-name free agents aren't going to be in the cards.
1: Honestly, I wish they would work on some, maybe getting a couple more pitchers and then maybe um, one hitter. That would be nice. I'm not sure if Hyde is the one to help him rebuild, but we'll see. You know, I think their outfield looks pretty good right now. You know, I think they should get focus on getting some hitters from the infield, but that would be nice. Um, resign Mancini. I don't know about shortstop. Isn't Adam Hall from the Shorebirds a shortstop?
0: Yeah, but he's probably a good two to three years away at least. Maybe they're hoping Richie Martin will be the uh the guy after a year of where he's never hit above double A, having him, you know, take his licks as basically the twenty fourth guy because Davis is the twenty fifth guy on the roster and learning may sorta of help his advancement.
1: I mean, how much longer does Davis have on his contract? Like two years? Three years. I know I know he's on there for like another twenty, but
0: Good gosh. Of course, that is another thing where Peter Angelos did the negotiations himself. Duquette had nothing to do with that signing, so anybody who wants to blame Dan Duquette for that signing, that's more of a buck in Peter Angelos' thing than anything else. But I wouldn't have given him the money either because just the fact that he selfishly took, while I know he needed the Adderall and it was required, but if Major League Baseball told him you're not supposed to take it, you still do it. You're also hitting 176 that year, and you miss the playoffs. You should not be rewarded for basically becoming a non-factor on your team and basically letting them down. It's one thing when Manny had the knee surgery, and then Weeders had the elbow surgery, and the fact that the Orioles made it to the ALCS without all three of those
1: guys. You're right about that.
0: That was a huge faux pas, and like I said, hopefully, I think at this point, since the rebuilding, there's no need to get rid of Davis, just hope that you can salvage him. Just like what happened with Matt Kemp. They, they, the Dodgers were able to get him there to salvage him, trade him to, to Atlanta to get rid of some debt money, then eventually sign him back years down the road, and he becomes, you know, at least a hero in one of those playoffs.
1: I mean, something's got to be done about it. They got to I listened to one podcast where they're talking about, you know, does he feel guilty about taking all that money and he's not producing? You know, maybe he would take, you know, half the – but, you know, I don't think he's going to take a pay cut just because he – because his guilt, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I think the thing is, after that time, basically Jim Palmer called him out for lying, said he was working out in the off season and he did nothing, didn't try to improve. That was probably one of the damning things. And then I remember reading a story, as you mentioned, feeling bad about the whole thing. He's sitting in his car, tears in his eyes, sitting at his breakfast table, tears in his eyes with his wife. It's one thing if your skills decline, and that happens with a lot of guys. Skills decline. Some people have anomalies of seasons and then people just fall off. Adam Dunn had one of those where his numbers just fell off and he hit under 200. And then at least he was able to salvage it back where he's like, a guy to hit maybe 212. It hits 30 homers. Davis can't hit homers for you. Davis can't get on base. He can't really hit anything.
1: Yeah, I understand that. I mean, if you can't hit, that's understandable. But if you're not working out, you're not doing your job. It's it's actually a breach of contract. You're not doing what you said you would do.
0: Yeah, the only problem is there's such a strong union that he'd still get paid regardless. But at this point as they say in the business world is sunk costs. you're not going to get anything for him it doesn't matter he's already paid this isn't the nfl where you can recoup some money you just might as well cut him he gets paid you go on your merry way and you're not saving now an extra roster spot because they're going to a 26-man roster next year and now you're just not playing with one man short like you were the past few years
1: i didn't know they were going to 26-man roster
0: Yeah, they're going 26-man roster next year, and you're only going to be able to call up two people in September. (laughs) That's going to change a lot of playoff races now because people who rely on a, a stealthy and heavy bullpen, you can't do it anymore. Thank Joe Girardi for bringing a guy in to face one batter every time.
1: Wow. Freaking amazing.
0: Well, Jeff, I do appreciate you coming on the show, and I look forward to having you back again next time.
1: All right. Thank you for having me.
0: And that was my interview with Jeff Scott. I hope you enjoyed it. If you know someone else who might like this episode or any other previous episodes, please feel free to share. Tune in to episode 45 of the Sports Refuge, where we'll have a brand new guest discussing their connection with sports. For an update on our show's next guest, check out the Sports Refuge on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. You can find this episode and previous episodes of the Sports Refuge on the Sports Refuge website, or you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are heard. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to The Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at thesportsrefuge, on Instagram at sportsrefuge sports blog, and on Facebook at thesportsrefuge sports blog. Thank you for listening.